Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. everybody. I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Penn Holderness. Thank you so much for joining us on our favorite thing that we do all week, the Holderness yeah. Family Podcast. I love the chance to just sit down and have a conversation. Why don't we do this more often? We have to do other things. Yes. We, you know what we could do? We could just give up something. We could give up our kids <laughs> or we could give up our Facebook videos or we could give up, what do you no. want to give up? Eating? Sleeping? No, we could no, give up sleeping. No. Anyway, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to enjoy this time while we have it. Thank you so much for listening, downloading, subscribing, and leaving reviews. When you leave a review, it helps other people find us. So here's a recent review from PNW, Pacific Northwest, Chrissy. Oh, Chrissy. This is, oh, Chrissy. No, I just was thinking of Stranger Things. Oh. That's not a good Chrissy. Sorry, this is no. a different Chrissy. Yeah, okay, different Chrissy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Although... No, 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 Indiana. Yeah. I hope that I never meet Penn and Kim in person. Oh. Because of this podcast in my head, we are best friends. Oh. And if I did meet them in person, I would talk and act like we are best friends. And that would be so awkward. No. I think you should still... I would love to meet you, Chrissy. So, by the way, Chrissy, that does sometimes happen. People just come up and talk to us like they know us. And it's great. It's great. It's because it's not small talk. And you know who hates small talk? I cannot... Do small talk. Right. So it's actually better if we can just fast forward, pause, like, bloop, bloop, bloop. The difference is I do want to know about you. So it is like yeah. you'll have to answer some questions of like. What's your deal? What's your deal? Chrissy, what's your deal? What's your deal, Chrissy? I have to say, so I have to get a wrist surgery. Oh, let's talk about okay, that. Okay, but it was, it was awkward because we went through the whole, this was a better interaction. So it went through this whole appointment and then the doctor said, hey, actually, there's this video you did. It's really funny. I really oh, appreciate it. And it was like on the way out. Okay. Whereas I have had the opportunity to have a pelvic exam at the, you know, my yearly OBGYN appointment and the nurse as she's literally lifting the old curtain. Yep. Say, hey, I saw that video you did. And, and then it's like, scoot down, please. So I've had that experience too. So like, yeah, that's been. 
That must be like when I was in college and I had the hernia. And in order to check for a hernia, I got a hernia for singing too loud in a band. And to check for a hernia, you had to put, the doctor has to put their finger up your butt. And then I saw that doctor the next night at a bowling alley. <laughs> Is where he's practicing? <laughs> no, that was part of it. Because that's really like, I, I looked at him and then I put my fingers in the bowling balls. And I was like, I don't know how to handle this. We have gone off the rails so again this conversation about awkward medical encounters has nothing to do with a conversation we are about to have no but in this listen all right we love talking to dr emily king she's been on this show before she is generally the most cheerful like positive solution-based person and there is there are bits and elements of that but we're talking about some serious problems when it comes to education teachers in in particular, um, as a result of what's happened to our world over the last couple of years. And it, I, I could tell by talking to her, we've already had the interview that number one, she's very passionate about this. And number two, she believes that this is a real problem. Okay. So just to clarify what my husband just said, we're starting a new school year yeah. and there is a teacher shortage. And not only is there a teacher shortage, we are expecting a lot from our teachers. So today we're going to be talking about how you as a concerned, you know, neighbor, friend, parent can help support your kids and the type of partner you can be with your teachers, especially in a neurodivergent setting. Mm -hmm. So we're talking ADHD, autism, different ways to learn because they're all just different ways to learn how to be more supportive as teachers. And we all take on this daunting task of sending our kids back to school. And she has a lot of great suggestions on how to do that right now. I also thought it was interesting at the very end. I was just curious because she's been studying schools and the psychology of them. Uh, I asked her what, what she could do if she could just start a school from scratch. And her answer was something I hadn't thought of. Okay, Dr. Emily King is a child psychologist who has worked with neurodivergent children and teens for the last 20 years. She received her PhD in school psychology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where she worked as a, at the Carolina Institute for Developmental Disabilities and the Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institute. She spent five years consulting with teachers as a school psychologist in public elementary, middle, and high schools before starting her private practice. Dr. Emily is also the founder of LearnWithDrEmily.com, where she shares online resources related to raising and educating neurodivergent youth. She has been featured on NBC, MSNBC's Morning Joe and has been quoted in the New York Times, Washington Post, and, written, and has written for Parents.com. Dr. Emily is passionate about empowering parents and teachers to take care of themselves so they can grow into the adult that every neurodivergent child needs in their life. She and her husband are parents of two boys, nine and 14, who are her greatest teachers. And I do have to read their disclaimer. Information provided by Dr. King is intended for informational purposes only, not intended to diagnose or treat any mental health condition or to provide psychological services directly to clients. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice of a qualified mental health professional with any questions or concerns. Welcome to the show once again, Dr. Emily King. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. Last time we spoke, I believe you had just broken both, both feet of your feet. Upon falling down, I think, some <laughs> stairs. And uh, I hate to laugh. But that was, it was like well, COVID. Uh, yeah. Break one foot, break two feet. It yeah. was, it's been actually two years. Right. Almost to the day. It was in August of that year. 
and um, nothing like slipping on a step and taking out both of your feet to make you <laughs> really appreciate telehealth with your clients because you can't go anywhere anyway. I mean, that was part of it, right? Because you, you you were stuck at home and then you broke both Already. of your feet. So yes. we, look, I, we're, we're starting out with that because we love Dr. King. She, is, she has a good sense of self. She has an even better sense of what's going on in the world, particularly as we talked about in the intro, our schools, our teachers, and our students. Yeah, and I think that I'm very aware as I'm sending my kids back to school, I've heard a lot that there's most definitely a social deficit our kids have had. I mean, they were out of school because of COVID or homeschooled or learning from home. And then, so there's that. Mm -hmm. But then I just feel like... The modern classroom right now, I just don't know. And it's nobody's fault. It's not the teacher's fault right now. Mm -mm. I don't, I'm not going to heap anything more on the teachers. But I just don't know how it's serving teachers. And I definitely don't think it's serving most students, or at least students that don't fit into those perfect like boxes. And by the way, our kids don't fit into those perfect boxes boxes of very, the kids that learn in that very traditional way. It seems way. like fewer and fewer do. Yeah. So that's why we wanted you here today. As we're heading in and sending our kids off to another school year, what are ways we can help our kids and what are ways we can help our teachers? Well, I'll start by saying from like a bird's eye view of this, this is not new. It's just harder than ever before because we are asking teachers to do more with the same or less mm -hmm. than before. We're asking our kids to do really the same or more because they're a grade older with um, not as much practice, social practice, academic practice. It's just highlighting all the things about education that aren't flexible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... Um, you know, the takeaway from any time I talk about this is we need more flex for our kids, for our teachers, for ourselves. The education system is standardized in a very inflexible way. There are reasons to that. There are reasons that we need to um, make sure everybody gets exposed to curriculum, make sure that everybody has accountability to track how kids are learning. But when we do it so rigidly with not enough flexibility, we undermine, you know, teachers' awareness of what this one child on the ground needs in this moment to connect and learn something in a little bit of a different way. And so after these two years, everyone is everyone is tired. Mm -hmm. So that's going to highlight our inability to push through what's hard. We're really just, I think we've all had this like existential crisis of like, what, what am I doing with my life? Yes. And a lot of teachers feel that way. A lot of parents feel that way. There've been so many career changes. Um, I think some kids feel that way yeah. of like, this friend is maybe not my friend that, that we were friends two years ago, but now we're two years older and we can have different interests and I could just be a different kid and be good at different mm -hmm. things. And they're, they're different now, so we're not a fit anymore. So helping our kids understand um, what's changed over the last two years, how they've changed, that it's totally normal for them to be, you know, a different kid going back into this maybe same school, but for many of them, a different level of schooling. I mean, it's been two whole years. So mm -hmm. we have so many 
high schoolers that may feel like they've got the organizational skills of a a sixth grader. And that is kind of expected at Mm -hmm. this time. So there's a lot of extra support and patience that needs to happen. I don't like the words catch up. We've got to, there's a lot of catch up to do. There's a lot Mm -hmm. we've got to do to get back on track. Everyone is just off the track. Yeah, we're getting a new track. So we just need to slow the track down and reevaluate what's important. And there are massive systemic barriers to this. I, I get that. I know that. But on the ground in our relationships with our kids and our teachers and our administrators and our our therapists and all these all the people helping us, our neighbors, you know, how can we come together and recognize this is what this kid needs, this is what this school needs, this teacher needs, and make some progress, at least in our own communities, as we're thinking about what we can do right in front of us, because there's a lot to be frustrated about if we only focus on the big picture, because we just don't have a lot of power other than voting and lobbying for education funding and things like that. Um, You do have a little power. Mm -hmm. Um, But just that short-term impact, that's what I've grown more and more passionate about over these last two years because this whole situation has just really highlighted what's so hard about school for so many kids. You talked about catching up. I mean, we've even used the term arrested development. I love the TV show. That's one of the reasons why. But they're like just little things that, that kids and even parents have just like that normal development has has stopped. Penn Charles calls it the blip, which I love. He's a Marvel fan. Those of you who aren't Marvel fans, uh, Thanos like wipes out half the population and then they come back three years later. So it was kind of like what COVID was. It was sort of similar, like you're gone and then you're back. Um, but I mean, so that, that presents its own set of challenges. You talked about resources versus need. You talked about needing to be more flexible, true or false. We've also discovered more of our students with neurodiversity in the last few years because of COVID, because it's become more normalized and because it's it's been recognized as more of a spectrum situation when it comes to neurodiversity. True, absolutely true. And we'll be right back. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, cathartic, exhausting, or even exhilarating. But one thing's for certain. If you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you will gain insights and uncover truths that you can only find in therapy. Get those personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support by signing up for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. 
Talkspace is also affordable and in-network with most major insurers. To celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness to get $80 off your first month with code SPACE80 and to show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Holderness with code SPACE80. The two things in there to think about is there's been this, almost this like perfect storm and it's a good storm. It's like this stuff is brewed up at the same time of there's this beautiful push of diversity and around all areas of sexuality and gender and and race and religion ethnicity but neurodiversity is in the mix too now and it's it's just so normalized for our kids our generation of parents and educators and adults we are the ones that are like oh like it's always kind of been this way i we just didn't call it this or we had space a few few categories but we named it something different or we dismissed it, or I can't tell you how many parents I work with that recognize that they have ADHD after their child is diagnosed. They're like, oh, so this is why school is so hard for me. you know. So there are things that are coming to light in this generation of our kids and our young adults. And at the same time, with COVID happening and online schooling happening, hmm. it became very clear what parts of school were really rooted in face-to-face connection with a teacher because we pulled that variable out really rooted in executive functioning skills like organization and knowing when to log into the call versus being really interested and being able to talk about a topic forever well that's a different skill than being able to remember to log into the call and in a very intelligent person could have both those skills in one brain you know so executive functioning is not indicative of intelligence which is you know, we've got all these variables just got really teased out during the online learning. And some families were able to pivot to like, you know, pods or small group learning. Some families pulled their kids and put them in different situations. You know, some families didn't have a choice and they had to do the thing and with online learning, but they saw their kids struggle in a way that was so different from the classroom. The flip also happened. I saw some kids with social anxiety who loved it. They're like, online school is for me. And they were so glad they didn't go into the building. So that just speaks to all of the differences we have in our sensory integration to sitting in a classroom, the crowds, the noise, the length of the school day, all the things that we need to be a student and how being in the building is part of the experience. It's just all been really interesting to watch unfold and now to be at a spot where we're like okay what do we do with this information yeah because I, I, I think it, the blessing of covid has been this really wonderful opportunity to take that step back saying mm-hmm. is this is this worth doing do i i mean we've all had those kind of existential crises so <laughs> it makes sense that our kids would too i mean they're not aliens they're human beings right but also the teachers we are facing a massive teacher shortage and no duh. I mean, they're not paid right. enough. They, I mean, <laughs> are being asked to put their lives on the line in some situations. Right. So I get why teachers are running for the hills. We we love teachers here. We, we So it feels a little unfair to ask 
teachers to have to do more. <laughs> so without the support, because I, I, what I know about teachers is like they do want to serve these kids. They do mm-hmm. want to help these kids. So how as a parent can I support a teacher with my neurodiverse child that may have some, you know, special needs in the classroom, mm-hmm. what is the best way to support my kid and the teacher? Yeah. So the first thing to know is that any teacher who is back in the classroom this fall, they really want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they've thought about it. Yeah. They all <laughs> thought about they've it. Thought, they've thought about it. They, you know, something is working out for them, whether they love their school community, they love these kids, they are in a situation in their family where they're able to have a job with these hours and this pay, you know, or there's something about the situation that is working for them because they said yes to it this year. Mm -hmm. So let's just start there. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing to know is that as a parent, especially after the last two years in this summer, You know your kid the best, you do, but you don't know them in a classroom. And I think that this is where we go wrong, kind of dismissing a teacher's expertise and sometimes dismissing a parent's expertise. So we have to come at this together of like, okay, the parent knows the child best at the home setting. The teacher knows the classroom best. So we've got to communicate and as a parent say, hey, this is what works for my kid when we're doing homework or when we're doing chores or when we're doing this or that. Here's what happens when I don't support. Like, let's say, you know, my kid loses all of his belongings. That one's probably going to be like across home and school settings. Mm -hmm. So you can be like, we, this is an established thing. (laughs) We know it's happening. He knows it's hard for him. And this is how we support it. And you can give the teacher specific strategies for your kid to not have to figure it out. And that's still not stepping on the teacher's toes in terms of like, you're not telling the teacher how to do their job, but you're able to say, hey, we figured out what works with this specific skill weakness. And the teacher is going to be so grateful for that because they're not going to have to figure that out. You Mm -hmm. just gave them, you know, front loaded that for them. Now, where we do step on their toes is when we say things like, my my student's not going to learn about that. We're going to, we're going to do like curriculum Mm. things or, you know, things that are, are just very rooted in, you know, too much telling a teacher how to do their job. You know, I always say go to administration with those questions. If you have concerns about curriculum, because the, the principal, the assistant principal is going to be able to help you answer those questions and understand where those decisions have been made from a district level, a school level the teacher is truly teaching what they've been asked to teach. And then on the ground for this kid, we are collaborators with that teacher. The best thing we can do from the beginning is to thank them, appreciate them, and go in there as a partner and helping them get to know your kid and then letting them do their thing. And I know parents are anxious. I've been there. You know, I know it feels anxiety provoking to let your kid go into the school for so many reasons right now, and especially American schools. But we have to trust so that teachers feel supported because when they feel like we're micromanaging or always asking or we're presenting as kind of that helicopter, I need to know everything, it's exhausting for them. And it's it, that is one more emotional load for them to do. 
So this is great. I, Emily always comes to us with like actionable ideas, uh, hacks, if you will. And I thought, and I mean hacks in a good way, like, you know, showing gratitude to your teacher, making sure and communicating with them when there's something, when there's a delay or a shortage or whatever. I'm, I know that in the back of your mind, rather than putting like these hacks or like kind of band-aids on the issue, you'd probably like to perform a massive surgery on, uh, on the educational system. And maybe we'll get to that later, but I do want to talk some more about hacks because I I'm, tr I'm going back to like remembering how I got through school with ADHD mm -hmm. and there were some certain things that I did. And I remember when I stopped doing them, it really, really affected me adversely and affected my grades and my ability to learn. The biggest one for me was, and I wonder if we should just, this is probably terrible. I sat in the front of the class, mm -hmm. every single class. And people thought that I was a teacher's pet, but if I sat one row back, I paid about 10% less attention. Mm -hmm. If I sat another row back, it was another 10%. If I sat in the back, I was spacing out. When I got to college and there were those auditoriums where I could sit in the very far back, I could not get through five minutes without my mind wandering. So I'm sitting here thinking about, can we just make all the ADHD kids sit in the front of the class or is that just like sticking, like, is that literally pointing them out? Is that a terrible idea? Kim? It's not a terrible <laughs> idea, but there could be plenty of ADHD kids that that doesn't work for. I know that's yeah. true. So I, it's like a menu. It's yeah. like a menu of things that could work. It's like a menu of strategies that worked for you. And that's why as parents, we need to go in and say, what works for our kid. And then as they get older, like after like third, fourth grade, we need to go ahead and start encouraging them to go to meet the teacher and being like, I need to sit in the front of the class. This works for me. Yeah. So we're working on self-advocacy. So remember everything you're doing for your child in preschool and early elementary school, you want it to be something that you want them to then say and advocate for mm -hmm. when they are older. So, you know, to answer your question, like that is one strategy of lots that might work, might not work. But what we want to lead with is just asking a teacher or a teacher asking a parent, what happens when Penn sits at the back of the class? Like, get curious. Like, what happens? And I like your parent, you, you would have a gut reaction to that like you just did. Like, oh, I can't do that. that I won't learn anything. You know, so just asking these questions of each other is really important, especially as teachers are getting to know yeah. kids and kids are getting to know teachers. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. Right, Kim? Yes. Now, so you do have a course for teacher. This is for teachers, right? The It's called the Neurodiverse Classroom. Can you tell us? Coming this that? fall. Coming yes. this so, fall. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. Yeah. So um, over the last... Well, 20 years I've been, I was first a school psychologist. And then once I left the schools, I've been in private practice working mostly with neurodivergent kids with ADHD, autism, anxiety, learning needs, kind of the more complex, the better of, I just, I love this stuff and helping them figure out how to learn and how to live in a world that just really wasn't built for them. And then along the way, you know, we can only or I've always felt like I can only bring a child so far in therapy. There's also school and there's a parent relationship and a teacher relationship. So I've worked with, you know, parents a lot in my practice and then and also helping them process shifting their mindset once a child is diagnosed and really parenting the child they have and not any idea of parenting that they had. But then that's evolved, especially over the last two years of watching what has happened with all these, all this information, all these variables that have been teased out and learning. And teachers don't get this training 
in school. They might get one class on behavior management and they they might. And then if they have a master's in like special education, they're going to have more understanding of different learning needs. But most of our kids, especially our intelligent kids with ADHD, let's say, that can absolutely hang in a regular big class, they just need accommodations. They're probably going to be with a regular education teacher who doesn't have any specialized training about ADHD, Mm -hmm. but is learning from colleagues or is figuring it out and trying to manage the behavior of the class, which is a reaction, which is a Band-Aid. How we help all of this is to help teachers better understand the brain sitting in front of them. And I had one teacher that says the soul's staring at me. And I was like, I will never forget that phrase because that's what it felt like to her, that she was responsible for all these different learning journeys and they were all a little bit different yeah the curriculum generally is the same and you're bringing them along on reading writing and math in elementary school which which is what i'm starting with in my course with teachers is just elementary let's start there because i'm really I, i really feel like it's for kids need to learn to be students if we don't get it right at elementary we we lose them along the learning journey they start to hate school mm-hmm. and that's what we want to prevent from happening. We want them to learn how to how to be students, learn to be seen, learn that it's okay if I need to stand and do my work, if I if I need to take a break because it's too loud, if I I need a plan because I'm really anxious about what's coming next. Those are all little tweaks we can do that teachers just need need coaching on. So I'm really excited to share all that with teachers this fall because they are hungry for information. They're put in situations where they don't have enough of this type of emotional, social emotional learning training. Schools do a really, you know, good job giving them lots of literacy training and academic. Lots of the funding is driven by academic Mm -hmm. training for teachers because that is what everyone thinks is going to raise the scores. Mm -hmm. But if a child is first not regulated, feeling safe in a classroom and connected to a teacher, it doesn't matter what is being taught it is not going to be absorbed okay you just smiled when you said that when you said scores because boy does that carry with it a lot doesn't don't those scores don't those grades have a crushing amount of relevance the older that you get in education well relevance is an air quotes because importance i guess if for whatever you're going to do next yeah because This all evolved out of needing to track student progress. You know, I remember 25 years ago in graduate school taking courses on the importance of measuring student outcomes. It's it's how it's how the money flows, like Mm -hmm. who needs what money and, you know, what programs are working and all of this. There's this shift. Part of it is like this huge need for social emotional learning mental health needs coming out of covid i hope this is the beginning of the pendulum swinging of like hey no one's going to actually be learning all this stuff that we're tracking unless they feel safe and connected at school and unless this teacher feels safe and connected at school and feels supported and appreciated and and it's like it's like you know, happy, happy teacher, happy classroom, right? So uh, it's like a home. It's like any system of an adult nurturing a child, the adult can only nurture as much as they're nurtured from the top. And that's what is, is missing. That's what's happening with teachers are so overwhelmed and stressed 
and not feeling like they're seen in these situations where we have to keep teaching all this stuff because of the scores and the outcome and all of that. And there's, we could, you know, talk on and on and it's different in every county and every state about the implications of what happens if a teacher's scores are low versus high. And there's, there's lots of different legislation around this that a lot of people feel like is unfair to teachers because a lot of times the scores don't actually, this is, this is the kicker. The scores don't actually measure what neurodivergent kids know because they're measuring test-taking skills, not a hundred percent, but a big chunk of it is how well you take a test, how well you're attending to that test, how well you're showing what you know on a bubble sheet that's not completely related to learning. And that's the part of standardized testing that frustrates teachers and parents of, of mm-hmm. all neurodivergent kids. Well, we know that. yeah, I mean, we had a situation with one of our kids is very early in, I will try not to identify gender here in their educational journey. And this sweet, sweet first year teacher had four like neurodiverse kids in the classroom this and no assistant because the assistant had broken her leg on the first day of school and then they never replaced the assistant so this sweet teacher dealing with four kids who were basically treated like a behavior problem because there was no other way to juggle it all and so our child that was in this classroom literally they you know parents were like waving the flag towards the end of school year like our kid is not our kid has not learned the things they were supposed to learn because of a classroom management style. Mm-hmm. And it was really, I was like, oh, I didn't realize. And so we had to do a little bit of remediation and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's like, I think that's when I think back because this sweet teacher was doing the best she could. Right. And, but obviously, and if she can't get the support from the administration, there's no budget to get somebody else in there. There's no, but that's why I I think it's great. These teachers in these schools need to kind of reevaluate what the, what the goalpost is almost, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like keeping more on teachers seems impossible. So not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Educators have known this for a long time. A lot of, you know, in my world, when I talk with teachers and and when I talk with with parents of, of kids with individualized education plans, this was all hard before COVID. You know, this was all, right. I mean, I remember having meetings before COVID with some local legislatures, letting them know, like, this is not sustainable, like what we're doing right now. And, and then COVID happened. I'm like, okay, this is really not going to work. Yeah. Because it's just overwhelming to do a job that you don't have enough resources for. You know, that sweet teacher, of course, there were behaviors in the classroom. Behaviors happen when the expectations are higher than the skills. Right. And that's, it's a formula. I do hope this has nothing to do with, you know, elementary schoolers. And, um, but I do hope that they continue to make the SAT and ACT optional for college admissions because mm-hmm. I, I have never, I, I was a terrible test taker. I knew everything, mm-hmm. terrible test taker, and it caused such stress. And it, it was not a good indicator of the type right. of student I was. Mm-hmm. Whereas he got an amazing score that he probably finished it in 45 minutes and got an amazing score. 
one of us worked a little harder in college and had a better GPA. And I'll let you guess who that is. I, all I have to I, say is- like, I don't understand I, why that had anything to do with the first part of the story, but okay. No, but like, I just was, don't think those standardized tests are a good indicator for what kind of learner and well, student one person is. And I agree with you there as well. That like th- those tests, actually, I got to tell you, for my particular brand of like uh, ADHD, those tests checked off the three things that actually work for me. Something challenging, something new, and something of personal interest, like getting into college, right? So if you, if you have like the ability to hyper-focus on those three things, you can actually do pretty well. And then I got to college and none of those things were happening. Right. Just, so it, what I just described before is the opposite of what you experienced. So we've got kids who are not good test takers, who the teacher knows they know it. They know they're learning, but the test doesn't show it. Right. Mm-hmm. But the flip of that are our intelligent ADHDers who are excellent test takers, check all the boxes. But those like congratulations for getting through college pin, because that's a formula for our, our really bright kids that drop out. Because they don't have the manage the executive functioning management skills, and, and I so, I'm so my two point seven GPA. I put on academic suddenly. probation. <laughs> Can I just also say I had an awesome time? So he I had says, a really good so, time. And, and I think it comes to, yeah, I was I was a hullabaloo. That's right. <laughs> he was in an acapella group, but they wore bathrobes. Aka, I excuse would, me. Aka, excuse me. Yeah, I would also say it has less to do with pen. And his poor, it wasn't that he was like partying all the time. That's what he likes to say. I think it was glaring executive function. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. he, for the first time, a college and UVA is an amazing school. They asked him, he, he, they asked him to, you know, create systems and organization. Like he had to manage all of these ideas himself where it wasn't like. Yeah, they hand you a syllabus, but it wasn't as detailed as the expectations right. were in high school, where it's like very clear, this is your to-do list. Like he had to come up with his own to-do list and he didn't know how to do that. And mother always made my to-do lists when I was, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, mother got me my Eagle Scout. Why, it's so creepy <laughs> when you say mother like that. Well, I just feel like if you're entitled and your mother did everything for you, you should say mother. Yeah. Mother. So, yeah. Anyway, I, but I think, but that's, it, it points out that like at some point, a really smart ADHD or can he can he gamed the system quite honestly and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. through middle school and high school and then it came it was glaring that it didn't work in college so at some point it's going to mm-hmm. catch you well and I'll share a personal anecdote that's for different reasons but I also in some ways feel like I gamed the system and came into my own more in graduate school like it took me that long <laughs> but I, you know, I loved school. I loved school so much that I got a PhD in the psychology of school. I mean, I just loved it. And um, I think I loved how organized it was and how like checkboxy it was. And I just, I love it. You go in and like someone tells you what to do and it felt really safe and really predictable. And I just got really good at the system of it. There were classes that were not my thing. There were times where I thought I was going to do this and I decided to do something else. Um, But once I got, I was in college at some point, late college, and it was really taking psychology courses that started to shift me in this. The whole idea of critical thinking, which looking back on this, it kind of shocks me. I really didn't get into that whole critical thinking mindset until college, Mm -hmm. which is scary in retrospect. Because I think I was just checking someone else's boxes and I did all the things and 
got the diploma and went to the college and did the things. And then somewhere along the line in psychology class, someone asked me, well, what do you think is going to happen? Like, what's your hypothesis? And I'm like, Ooh, what? I, don't know. I get to have no one? one's ever asked me that before. There's no box so for this. In that way, yeah. I started like having my own path of what education meant to me. And it became really obvious that I had jumped through all the hoops of standard education successfully, but mm-hmm. it kind of missed the whole like, what, what am I, I wanting to do? Yeah, I identify with that so much because I I think I could have been like an ADHD, but like on the inattentive side mm-hmm. it, because school was always, I always had to, I had to read things. I had to say it out loud. I had to hear it spoken to me. I had to like learn it, dance it, touch it, smell it. Like I had to learn anything to get it to stick. It took a really long time, but I, it was, I love, I could check a box. You tell me what Mm -hmm. to do. I'm going to do it. I still love that. Like I love Mm -hmm. a system. Mm -hmm. And so if, if my family had enough money, I definitely would have done graduate school, but college was the first time. Yeah. I remember my freshman year, like thinking like, Oh, they're not telling me how to think about this. Like in high, every, yeah. up until that point, they told right. me how to think about it. But it was the first time I read it. Like I had a history class and I was like, oh, wait, it's not just what happened in the textbook. There was more that happened. What? And so it, that's why if you, I don't think college is for everybody at all. Right. I don't think right. it's for everybody. But mm-hmm. for the lack of a good plan, I think at least a little bit of college is great for that reason. Cause I think it's the first time I'm going to get off my soapbox here first that you, there is some flexibility and you're not under these rigid high school standards or, you know, like mm-hmm. all these like standardized tests you have to, like it's so measured, measured, measured that once you get to college, there is that flex, you can almost like exhale and think about like, what do I really want to learn about? What can I get curious about it? And you can ask those questions and there's time for it that I wish we had earlier. And right. Our- I hope that that's where we're going. I hope that we're, we're listening to the teachers who I know are, are sh- kind of shouting these same things about, I know this kid, you know, could, you know, debate and critical think and all this middle school and high school, like earlier. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely some really great programs already out there that are doing this and families will find these programs or like magnet schools are a good example of this, where there are lots of electives for kids to take that are adjacent to the standard curriculum, but it's different everywhere. And you've got to know your kid and know your community and and know your options. But generally speaking, we still have that system of getting kids through school because we want to give everybody that opportunity. But at some point, everyone's not getting the opportunity. Like what, what are we teaching them? Yeah. Okay. I, I want to, I want to ask my last question going back up to 30,000 feet. Yeah. You, you you operate very well at thirty thousand feet. Uh, you have just uh, you've just found an exact replica of Earth in some other galaxy, and the same people are there, but they don't have a school system. And you were able to design your own school system for how to educate people. What's the one big difference that you would make? One big change you would make over the way that schools are being run right now? If you could start from scratch, I would flip the model of academics before putting the kids in the classroom and getting to know them. The I would social flip side. it so that social emotional learning is first. Kids complete, they play all the way up till second grade. They're playing the whole time. They're 
getting to know each other. They're learning all their social skills, emotional, all play until six or seven years old, until they're ready to then. And then teachers get to decide when they're ready to be students, when they're asked, when they're ready to like be asked to sit and listen. And then they start doing academics versus let's have four and five-year-olds do worksheets and assume we're not going to have any behavior problems. Yeah. God, remember we were, our PC was in preschool. By the way, my son taught himself to read and I only discovered it because I was trying to skip over sentences to get the bedtime story over with faster. (laughs) And he's like, mommy, you missed a part. I was like, oh snap. But I remember we got a call from preschool. They were like, you need to come get him. He's just like crazy. He like won't sit down. He's wired. I'm like, he's four. And you're making him do a worksheet. Yeah, he's four. So of course he's running around like a crazy person. Hang on. That was a really simple solution. And you had that locked and loaded. Um, Does that exist somewhere? Could we could we start the Emily King school for kids who don't read good? (laughs) That's a Zoolander quote, by the way. Uh, I hope people get that. Yeah. (laughs) How can they even learn to read if they can't fit inside the building? (laughs) You get it, though. Like, could, 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 could we make this happen? Well, I think that, you know, whenever you hear educators, psychologists, any child development people talk about you know, play-based preschools. I'm like, what other kind of preschools should they be? You know, so anytime I hear play-based preschools, I'm like, aren't they already play-based? So you're all preschools should be play-based, you know, kindergartens should be play-based. There are things when you, when you learn about where your child's going to go to school, there are schools out there that are very play oriented until a certain grade. And you just need to pay attention as a parent to know your kid, just like going back to like, It worked for you to sit in the front row. That may not work for another kid. Um, And so knowing your kid, generally speaking, though, all kids develop and and all of our brains are wired to play until we, you know, settle into being able to sit in a seat and learn, you know, around ages six to eight. Um, A lot of five year olds are still very active. They you know, there are many who can sit, but not all. And um, it's it's, I, I just truly believe it's going to have to come from the parents and the teachers saying, this is what we want out of for our kids, out of our school system. This is what we want to happen because it, it's almost it's like everything else. It's almost like a lobbying job. Like this is what we want. And there's there's pressure from the top to make academics, academics first. That's where all the money is coming from. But I feel like we're reaching a breaking point where There's some successful play-based elementary situations out there. You know, conscious discipline is another large curriculum that is, you know, huge in coaching teachers how to connect with kids first and how to regulate emotions before any of the learning can happen. These these curriculums are out there. Teachers are getting trained. You know, learning about the neurodiversity of learning styles is starting to emerge and teachers are like, oh, so I'm teaching it this way, but that's just not how their brain is wired to learn it. Mm -hmm. And so I just truly believe it's going to come from the bottom up, like most everything else that happens. And we just have to pay attention to what our kid needs, what our community needs, what our teachers need to be capable of doing this job for the long term and to attract new teachers. You know, there's so many people who retired because it was kind of a good time to retire Mm -hmm. if you were, you know, 62 over COVID, right? <laughs> so um, yeah. I think we've, we've got to do something. A, a, a um, administrator colleague of mine posted on social media a few weeks ago, it's time for something radical. 
Like it's time mm -hmm. for some radical ideas because we have um, a lot of, we have kids without teachers in the classroom right oh now. Gosh, um, yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how different school systems problem solve this. I think there are going to be a lot of parent volunteers. I had a moment where I was like, do I quit my job and become a substitute teacher? I'm like, okay, probably not. But I you thought about <laughs> I'm it? really feeling the pull yeah. of, um, you know, skills I had that I wanted to share. It tugs at my heartstrings because I know there are kids that are going to be stressed because there aren't enough staff and there's going to be staff that are stressed because there's not enough of them. Can I ask you something, Kim? Yes. I, I like everything she just said made so much sense. Mm -hmm. Everything she said felt I was inspired by hearing this new model. I heard her saying, let's do something new and radical. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> and there's this like tiger mom voice in the back of my head. But my kid's not going to be like, they can't read. They're going to fall behind. They're, they're going to fall. They're going to fall behind. They have to be in soccer by the time they're one. If they <laughs> want to be on a freaking travel team. <laughs> And like, so we, that, that, like, that's, that's what you're fighting against, I would imagine, right? right? So that's a you problem. Oh, I, yes. I fully understand right? that. So I, like, but I, but I, in I'm the most just, compassionate yeah. way, yeah. I am telling adults, if you are nervous about slowing down and playing and connected, being connected with your child, if you are nervous about your teacher, you know, connecting with their class and taking time to help them learn about how they feel emotions in their body before they are faced with frustrations of learning. That's something that we, in our generation of adults mm -hmm. who were not schooled like that, who I think are, there's this, I feel like it's revolutionary. Like we are all thinking about like, oh yeah, that didn't work for me. I get it. So how can we help ourselves, our teachers in this generation of adults say, I get this. We can help our kids love learning and at the same time help our teachers love teaching. Like who doesn't want to do that? And it just takes a radical shift in the way we think about it. it I, I agree and I'm open. I, I We need something radical. I'm the mm -hmm. first person to co-sign on that is we need something radical and it is going to take, I think it was beat into our heads, this very, it's just like work. If something's not working, just work harder at it. Mm -hmm. Just that's right. what was programmed, I think, in our generation. So like yes. if it's not working, just do it more. And then but we've learned that doesn't work with school, just more of the same is not working. Right. Yeah. And then also this hustle mentality of like achieve, achieve, achieve. It, it was, I mean, the fact that that school year went by with one of our kids and then it wasn't until towards the end when the parents kind of got together and said, they are not meeting benchmarks and it's because of this reason we need to figure out how to support this teacher more so our kids can. And, and that really made me so nervous because I was like, oh, if my kid's not meeting this specific standard, what does that say about my kid? What does that say about me as a parent? And when, when really it was, it was nothing. It took two seconds. It doesn't say anything about you as a parent. No, It and says it, there's something going on in that classroom that wasn't an optimal environment yeah. for learning. All of that can be pivoted and, you know, figured out moving forward in a different way. And I'm not saying like, kumbaya, let's all just sit around and sing songs and have a good time. Yeah. This is just the foundation that needs to happen 
for everyone to be mentally well, parents, teachers, and students, so that the learning is the most effective and can take place. Because at the end of the day, learning, the act of learning is a very vulnerable experience. Mm. You are shown something you've never seen before, and you are asked to practice it and to fail and to mess it up and to try again. Like, you have to really trust your teacher. You have to really trust that you're still an okay person, even though you messed it up. Like, think of the learning process. Mm. And we have to establish a safe mental wellness of an environment for the container for these kids and these teachers to learn as we go together and for any of this to move forward. Yeah. For for those of you out here listening to the audio of this podcast, you can't see uh, Emily King. We know her. She's a neighbor. She's a friend. We we love and respect her. I am. I'm just. I'm picking up that you are very passionate about this. That you are. You're feeling a sense of almost desperation, and yet you are trying to lead this fight. So we're very we're very grateful for everything that you've said. But I can tell that this is this is also an emotional issue for you. So thank you for for sharing yeah. that with us. You're so welcome. Thank you for asking. So tell us how people can find you, connect with you, learn about this course, all that good stuff. Yeah. So you can find me at learnwithdremily.com. There's resources for parents there if your child's been um, kind of newly diagnosed with autism, ADHD, anxiety, any of the neurodivergent ways to learn um, and shifting your parenting journey there. And then learnwithdremily.com slash roster is where you can go to get my regulation roster, which is free for teachers. So you can start thinking about your kids from a nervous system perspective, what they're bringing into the classroom, how they regulate in the classroom first. And then once you're on my email list, you'll get info about the course this fall. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Emily King. Anything else we missed? Anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. You want to sing? (laughs) This may not, I mean, she said kumbaya. We don't have to sing. Well, thank you. That was awesome. How are you feeling? I mean, I want to learn more about it. I want to learn more about how to change the paradigm of schools. I know we kind of touched onto it at the end. I know that right now, the most important thing is showing appreciation for and collaboration with the teachers, right? Mm -hmm. She made that clear. But I just, it was so clear to me as a neurodivergent child, which stuff worked and which stuff didn't. And it's clear to me when I'm 47, but it wasn't clear to me back then. Of course, you were too in the weeds. I mean, you were, you can't see the forest from the trees, right? Yeah. And so I, I'm kind of a feeling almost as passionate about it as clearly she was, mm-hmm. right? She is, she's worried about this. She's obviously hearing a lot about it. She wants to advocate for this relationship between the student, the teacher and the parent. But I, man, I'm just I'm trying to imagine what my life would have been like if I was, if I went to the Emily King school of kids who don't read good. <laughs> and if maybe that had, what if that does help smooth out some of these learning differences that people have? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, your brain's going to be the same either way. You felt like your ADHD was just like flaming because of the system you were put into. So if you were, yeah, like if you were put into a different system, listen, we were not meant to sit behind a cute computer for eight to 10 hours a day. Yeah. And I think, honestly, that's another blessing of COVID is that people who work from home now get to get out for walks during the day. Like they're, they have reported being more active 
and not as confined. So I think in, in a way that's, that's a nice sort of bonus that's happened. But yeah, if, if, if you, if you learned in this sort of classroom that encouraged like movement play, um, yeah, I think that would have been huge for you. And our, honestly, our kids. Yeah, our kids I, I'm obvious. I mean, this could be going full circle. We, we don't really know because our, our kids are still much younger than I was when I got diagnosed. Of course, back then, it, it was just sort of a new thing. Yeah. We're going to keep her on our speed dial yeah. as we move along with this. Thank you guys for being part of this podcast and for making it to the end. We are so grateful that you decided to spend some of your day just kind of chilling with us. And we're grateful for all of our friends, not just the ones who we call up to talk to, but also the ones who listen to our podcast. Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.